This should be played at high volume. You're listening. I'm not a To the Grind Hours podcast. You can either have the money and a hammer, or you can walk out of here. You can't have both. Joining me now, recording this at 11.39 a.m. Eastern. It's taken me a while just to, you know, recover from this weekend, both from, you know, the party that I had for my parents and that just whole craziness and also some NBA craziness news because with the draft becomes, the, in some people's mind, the true NBA season, the off season and, and free agency and the draft and just full transparency here. I didn't watch the draft. So Friday morning, I was tuning into some podcasts, scrolling through Twitter, and I found this Kyrie thing and rumors and went into full panic mode. And I didn't talk to the guest that I have on right now, Jose Roden, joining me, uh, I think for like the fourth week in a row. Uh, on, on a spot so you're coming oh somewhat of, of a regular uh this is a podcast i didn't want to do because and up until last night i thought it was going to be a full panic mode i actually the notes that i have for this the name for the block that i have is nets early summer panic mode because i was in a full panic when i went through this Kyrie, i think Roden. Was this just a game of chicken? Was that all this was? Uh, half yes, half no. I think that a lot of the reports from Shams and from Woj may have not been as accurate as people may think they are. I think a lot of it is from other front offices and maybe from the net side and not really from Kyrie's side. Well, with Kyrie, you don't know what that, he could think one thing one minute and completely change his mind the next and go with that. Yeah. You you never know what with with Kyrie and. Yeah. But I, I think it was more of like, how much of the truth are we getting in this situation? Like how upset is Kyrie really at the front office and blah, 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 blah. And I think, I think, both sides were kind of right in the situation. Like the Nets shouldn't have offered Kyrie a max max deal. No, absolutely and not. Kyrie Irving definitely deserves. Does a he max, though? Max deal? No, he doesn't. And and let me tell if, you, if you why. if you go based off talent, yes. Yes. If you go based, based off, off availability. Yes. No, so well, that's the, where the issue is. He's going off talent. Right. The and Nets he, are going off availability, and they're both right. Well, I, I put out a piece earlier wrong. in the month, or earlier last month, that I was working on for a month, um, talking about the Nets' summer and where they could go and how the what-ifs could, you know, fill Barclays Center. Well, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect Kyrie holding the Nets, and I should – you know, uh, maybe this is just because I'm naive, but I should have realized, well, Kyrie doesn't leave any situation quietly or peacefully. He always yeah. lights the bridge on fire like he did in yeah. Cleveland in Boston. And there was a moment in time on Friday afternoon where I truly thought the Nets 
as currently constructed with both Kyrie and KD, were going to be gone. I thought when they suited up and laced up next year that both Kyrie and KD would not be on the nets. And that was terrifying to me. Now that they see, and we still have almost 24 hours, it's almost exactly 24 hours for the Kyrie decision to truly be fleshed out. I think that he's going to resign. Reading the Shams report and, you know, if, if Katie, if Kyrie was really leaving, I think Katie would be uh, a little bit more vocal about it. I don't think so. No, you didn't. No. You don't think he would make somewhat of an example of his supposed best friend in the league? No, I think from what you hear from Kevin Durant, like I listened to his, part of his ethics podcast, and he was talking about how, yeah, like they're close, but he can never be upset about. Or was it Logan Murdoch who said it? Who's like friends with Kevin Durant? One of them was saying how Kevin Durant never, Kevin Durant, like I've always said, and this is the main reason why he's like my favorite basketball player. All he wants to do is play basketball. He doesn't care about the GM stuff. He doesn't really want to get involved in that. He just wants to play basketball. Right, but, that's he wants to, but that's no, 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 the, no, no, no. the other thing but, is too, he wants to win. So if Kyrie's yeah. going, he looks at the Nets and goes, well, I'm the only one here. I don't want to do this. Well, yeah, that would happen. But I don't think, it's like the same thing with James Harden. He wasn't vocal against James Harden leaving because he himself did a similar thing to OKC where he got up and left. I think he but knows he that it's a he business. Didn't, no, no, no. He didn't no, quit No, 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 no. On, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he sees it in the same light as someone is looking out for their best interests. And I think he knows Kyrie Irving is looking out for his best interests. And I think Kevin Durant can respect the fact of someone looking out for their best interest because Kevin Durant looked out for his best interest when he decided to leave a non-ball-moving point guard for a totally, completely different system that revolves around ball movement. I, he made the right decision. Yeah, so he did. I think he, he can't get mad at anybody, nor does he want to, about making a business decision no, that would he's be the human best he understands that if Kyrie leaves him he's screwed and yeah that's where I think his I, I again I don't and I want to preface this by saying because I'm going to ask you this question hmm. I don't trust Kyrie personally I I, I don't I, I want him to be the point guard of this team because for a full 82 game season I want him to be around this team and playing Every day, if not every game, as many games as he possibly can with rest built in or whatever. I don't fine on that, but I don't want him half in, half out. I don't want half a player. I don't want him on Zoom calls with the, the next Brooklyn DA. I want him. Because when he's on the floor, when he's a basketball player, and I understand that he is more than that, that he's a, a whole person and has a whole mess of things going on. But I want him to buy in for one year. That's all I, I that He hasn't bought in to a basketball season since 16, 17, since yeah. winning the finals. 
He hasn't bought in. I want him to buy in. You can do all that stuff. You can, but buy into being a basketball player. Buy in to playing with one of the best players in the world and competing for a championship. Buy into that. That's what I want to hear. I haven't heard that. I heard it a little bit with him saying, well, we're, me, Kevin, <clears throat> and Joe are going to go look at the direct direction of this organization. If you truly believe that, if that's what his mission is for the rest of his Brooklyn tenure, I want to see it. I haven't seen it. And with him exploring his options, he doesn't look like he wants to buy into this team. So do you trust Kyrie and do you trust him to actually buy in and play basketball for a full 82 to compete for a, for a title? Yeah, I think so. I think like COVID won't be an issue this year. Like, I don't think they're going to have a vaccination thing again. Like they're not going to do that. They're not going to bring that back just for Kyrie Irving. Um, I think he's going to play every game that he's available to play. I think the roster should be better because last year the roster was kind of built around James Harden and KD. So I think it'll be more suited to Kyrie and KD. Um, I think, I know you're a Yankee fans. I, I, I think we're going to get a judge type season. From KD? I, yeah. Where, I hope so. Cause judge is pissed at the Yankees. And I think Kyrie is pissed at the Nets. And I think he's going to come out and it's yeah, going to be a similar style. That's not that, that Kyrie, when he's pissed off at something, he doesn't address it with anger and go out on the floor and go prove it. He addresses it by leaning into his other self-interest and leaning into becoming a politician, becoming a voice for the voiceless, for being an activist. And that's all well and good. I'm just I, saying, buy in to be, you're a basketball player. You can do everything encompassing what he wants to do. He can still do that stuff, but be a basketball player because he's a damn good one too. It's yeah. not like he's a slouch. He's I think one if, of the best point guards in the league. I think we're going to, I don't know if this will ever be reported, but I think that after the opt-in becomes official, I think him and Kevin Durant are going to have a sit down. They have to. Absolutely. And I think Kevin Durant will find a way to challenge and get Kyrie to put it he I think he'll he'll find a way to get Kyrie to do what he needs to do. And I think that's just something that Kevin Durant will be able to do cuz he's Kevin Durant is bought in as long as Kyrie's bought in and that's like a weird situation but i think if once Kyrie opts in kevin durant is gonna be like all right this is what we have to do you were talking all about in the final press conference about us figuring it out we're gonna figure it out now we're gonna get what we need to get in free agency season starts and we're gonna get it done and i i think that's i think that'll happen i i i don't know what happens after like if they don't win an NBA finals or whatever, I don't know what happens after with Kyrie, but I think that this year it will be, I think he'll buy in. I think him and Kevin Durant have a connection where they'll be able to both be good. I hope so. No, I, what you're saying is I, 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 
I hope that's the best case scenario because looking at this roster and looking at where they can go, that's what I want to get to for the, for the back half of this because they're in a kind of a bind because of the way that their cap is set up. I think priority number one after Kyrie, after the ink dries on Kyrie's deal, the first phone call you make is to Bruce Brown. That's the first phone call Sean Marks makes. Is the Bruce Brown yeah. and I, I don't need, I don't know what agency <clears throat> represents Bruce Brown, but I'm calling his agent and Bruce directly and saying, what is it going to take for you to come back? Because he is the most important piece off the bench on this team. And I think a team like Golden State will think so as well. Or a team like Dallas Golden. will think so as well. Well, or Miami championship level teams will look at Bruce Brown and say, we can use him the same way the Nets do. So that's what I'm scared of. And I, I really hope he's back. Yeah. I, we need to bring back either Drummond or Claxton. I know a lot of Nets fans will prefer Claxton over Drummond. I don't, but that's I still just don't me. see why. Rebounding. That's why the rebounding and the and the uh, the shot altering. He doesn't block as many shots as Clax does, but he alters a lot of shots. Probably yeah. the same as Clax. I like. I, I just. I like. Drummond. I can't stand Drummond. That's me though. Yeah, I can't stand Clax. We're 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 completely flipped on that. But I one think, guy. I think Drummond can't play in the, any of the modern NBA. The one guy that I put out to you yesterday when we were talking about this talking about the pod was Lonnie Walker I think that's a guy we could dip into the it would be a little bit expensive he would have to probably take a little bit of a pay cut but that's a guy that I think would fit in perfectly with what the Nets are trying to do as a bench option as the sixth seventh man off the bench yeah, that's not happening. Why not? How much do you think he's going to get paid? Realistically, how much do you think Lonnie Walker is going to get paid? $11 million. Have you watched Lonnie Walker? Yes, I've watched him. I went into a deep he's dive. Actually, he's actually good. I know he's and actually I, good. If we know he's good, <laughs> NBA scouts and GMs know he's good. However, we do. He's have a- not getting eight million. He's getting like eleven to fifteen from like the Hornets or the Bulls. Like a good, a good borderline team is going to sign him. The Nets, Nets have don't 20 have a million dollars in combined and trade exceptions. So we could do a sign and trade with San Antonio. And we could. That's in the mix. Patty Mills back to them. There's one thing that there's a trade exception that I believe, I believe, what's the date on it? Yes. So the Dinwiddie trade exception. Runs out soon, right? Which we use some of it on, on Seth Curry. But that exception expires on July 6th of this year. Mm -hmm. So... Three million. Sean Marks is not going to let three million dollars go to waste. There's going to be a move. 
patch patch packaging him with patty mills that is a very hard sentence to say but patty mills is basically redundant if we we have joe and we have seth curry so we I mean, don't really need patty mills anymore we don't you're, pro- you're probably trading a, a first or like sharp at least i'll tell you, i'll do that i'll do patty mills Daron Sharp and a little bit of the of the trade except and the three million dollars of the trade exception for eleven million and Lonnie Walker returning. I would one hundred percent do that. Are you kidding me? I don't think Spurs do that though. And they, well, I'll, I I'll guess give you, I'll give you two second rounders too. I'll give you two second rounders too. I don't care. Take a pick your pick your year. I'll, I'll give you two second round picks. Maybe Spurs do it just because they wouldn't want to lose Lonnie Walker for nothing, which they probably will. Right. They can't, they're not going to pay him. They're not ready to compete like that yet. No, they're not. So, man, Lonnie Walker is good. That's the number, that's the guy I'm looking at as just sort of because I was looking around at, you know, who's the restricted free agents that are making some around $3 million right now. And that was Lonnie Walker's salary last year was three million bucks. I think it was actually four million dollars. But he's gonna make yeah. If he makes eleven, he doubles his salary plus some. It's like a hundred twenty percent increase on salary. He will. He's an actual NBA player. Like he's not like but some give me random a guy, person. Give, so. Really, really quickly, give me a guy that you think the Nets could bring in from free agency, whether restricted or not, that's not retaining one of ours. That could, that's a priority for you this year. A priority? Yes. Or somebody that you would just like to see in that uniform. That is actual realistic. It's not like, hey, we're going to go out and sign uh, Harden again. We need wings. That's what we need. We need a lot of wings. Uh, TJ Warren would be interesting. I wouldn't mind that. I'm looking over free agents right now. TJ Warren would be interesting. Jeremy Lamb would be interesting. Jeremy Lamb? Jeremy Lamb. I don't want Ooh, Derek Jones Jr. is a free agent. That's a good one. I don't know if I want I, I maybe a veteran exception, but no, but these are guys that you would get on like less than three million, like just sign them straight out. I don't know if I want Derek Jones Jr. I don't need a Why dunk not? champion. I don't need a dunk champion. I want a guy who's actually a decent role player. What's the thing that the Nets don't have? They don't have any wings. And they don't have a center. They don't have any defense. Right. And they have nearly no athleticism. Derrick Jones fixes all, all of those right away. Uh, maybe Nets I could have talk no myself, athleticism. Maybe I could talk myself into that. I, I would take Derrick Jones in a heartbeat without even a second thought. Like, but that'd we, be easy. I don't know, man. Jarrett Culver? No, I'm not good defensively. Josh Jackson. Oh, I could do that. Josh Jackson. I've been hearing Jalen Smith thrown around, but 
Jalen Smith is like an 11th overall pick. He's not signing for less than like $8 million probably. Someone's going to take a shot on him. Nicholas Batum? No. Get the stop. Why not? He's 40. He played good last year. For I the don't know, man. He As played like good. your eighth man? I, maybe when he signed with Charlotte, but not this year. What do you mean? He played good the last two years. He had a role on the Clippers. He was like their starting center half the year. I don't know, man. It's just there's, there's some weird. Hi. There's some weird stuff with him. He, he could turn into a Patty Mills type of guy. Josh Akogi. That'd be interesting. That'd be, that's Jeez, another, I'm just going through these. That's another interesting guy. One more. And then we, we, we got to wrap up. Josh Akogi. Otto Porter Jr. There you go. That's my favorite. Otto Porter Jr. That could work. Otto Porter Jr. would be great on this team. Rodney Hood. Oh, God. There's like... You could make moves in the bottom of this. Rodney Hood would be an interesting kind of. Maybe we could get some Malik Monk magic. No. Rodney Hood. I don't want Malik Monk. No, I'm just I'm saying what Malik Monk did last year. Oh. Rodney Hood could do it for us this year. Yeah, probably. Same same set of, same sort of player. More defensive though. Rodney Hood's a little bit older too, but. We're getting into the nitty gritty. I'm sure um, as we hit the 12 o'clock hour. So exactly 24 hours from now is when Kyrie has to make his decision. Free agency starts on Thursday, but with tomorrow being the day before, um, or free agency starts on Friday. So Thursday is when everything will really start to leak out. Yeah. Um, Friday is going to be interesting because that's it's just going to be bonanzas. And as I a might, Mets fan or as an NBA fan? Both. The stuff's Friday's going to be boring as a Nets fan. I don't think so, man. They're I, not going to make any moves. Like all the people that I named are like second, second level signings. Like, yeah, but Nets, that's what the Nets have to do now. They, they, they're not in the. They're playing not the going to start till like Sunday. I don't know, man. I don't know, but I might have to do a two a.m. Uh, podcast on Friday. We'll see. But um, Roden, thank you so much for coming on. Tell the people what yeah, you got always. going on, where they can find you, all that good stuff. Uh, bet US. I'm starting World Cup coverage, so that's been fun. So every day I'm writing about World Cup. So if you know nothing about the World Cup, come check me out because you will learn a lot. Because I know an unnecessary amount about the world cup so <laughs> there you go Roden. thank you so much for doing this it's been fun and uh best of luck to your your health the next couple of days with this Kyrie stuff yeah i think <laughs> i'm good now i the most i was scared was yesterday by far and then it went away all right bro i, I will talk to you soon all right be easy see ya SeatGeek is the number one ticket app for buying and selling tickets. Sports fans, music fans, comedy fans, theater fans, fans of tickets. Use my code GRINDHOUR to get into the building to get yourself a seat. Again, that's code GRINDHOUR at checkout. 
for $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek.com or the SeatGeek app. One more time, code GRINDHOUR. That's G-R-I-N-D-H-O-U-R at checkout. Joining me now, for the first time this year, it's been a while since he's been on, but my good friend Robert Presser. Uh, also, before we start, Robert, uh, Morgan was going to be on this podcast with me, but uh, she decided to make breakfast instead. So she's, she does say hello and wishes you all the best, but uh, mm-hmm. she's currently downstairs making breakfast. Oh, that would have been so exciting. Dang. So I was I was trying to keep it under wraps just in case, you know, she did actually come up but um and, and you know have a surprise for you but no we just got to talk about your Mets so uh, you know that I don't have all the surprises but this Mets season thus far I think is a surprise because as a Mets apologist and you're we will get into your Met fandom and how it's shifted or how I I want it to shift a little bit but <laughs> um the, I've been talking about Buck since I've been blue in the face. And I really think Cohen going out and getting Buck Showalter is the reason for, I think it's the second best start in Mets history. What do you think about Buck and about the entire Cohen experience now that we're, you know, a year, year and a half in? All right. Thank you, Joe, for that that wonderful intro. Uh, I mean, there's nothing to dislike about Buck Showalter. I'll I'll say that. The one thing that I will say is I I sometimes do still think that we might give a little too much credit to certain managers. But I guess if any manager deserves credit, it's got to be Buck Showalter because he he just seems to make a lot of very, very calculated and informed decisions um, and even very subtle things that we're lucky to have the kind of analysts on SNY or on, uh, on 880. Um, to point out because to the average fan, sometimes they go over, over our heads. Um, I right. mean, there are a lot of examples like this. There was the most recent example with challenging both ends of a double play and getting <laughs> them both flipped, which like, I didn't even know you could do that. And neither you know, could I, neither did I, I thought you could just challenge a play and then the umpire, I don't know, I guess it's different than football or whatever, but then there was another example earlier in the year, you know, having, I think like Dominic Smith was on third and there was a sacrifice fly and there was a runner on first and Oliver Perez, I think was involved in this in mm-hmm. some way. He like sent the runner so that they couldn't appeal the play and he was going to sacrifice the runner on first to get an out, but guarantee that they scored the run because someone had thought maybe Dom did leave third base early. It's a whole thing. I wish he'd give a little bit clearer answers when he was in a press conference, not going to lie, or should I say presser? Um, (laughs) he's, he really is a mumbler, but there's so much to like about what he brings to this team. I just want to give a few more quick examples. I mean, with his experience, there'll never be an issue like we saw with Mickey Calloway, who, you know, got the lineup card wrong and cost them. That's a double that I think, um, Cabrera hit. And, you know, the only thing that I want to say also is, uh, I liked uh, Rojas, and I really felt like he got the short end of the stick because he was only here for a shortened 60-game season, which if you went by success in that season, you would have traded someone like P. 
Pete Alonso for his lack of success. Right. And then he had one full season thereafter. And I still felt like he's a really bright young baseball mind. So I think sometimes when we speak really highly of a new regime, including even Steve Cohen, it tends to like quash or like, you know, diminish some of the some of the hard work of people who came before, which sometimes gets overlooked. So I, I always issue that caveat that I you know I appreciated what what um what Louis Rojas brought to the table uh last year and I wish he was still in the organization, but I do really, really I mean it's hard not to love Buck for what he does on the field. That's an interesting thing because the way that Buck was the his Yankee tenure. I mean, I'll take Luis Rojas any day of the week. He's a great third base coach and 10 times better than Phil Nevin. But, you know, towards the tail end of Buck's tenure, it was always looked at that Torrey won with Buck's guys. I don't think you can say the same thing. I know Luis Rojas managed a lot of the current Mets, but I wouldn't necessarily say these were Rojas's guys. I think... What Buck's doing, and even Billy Epler, I, I you know, I'm, I, 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 he should get a lot of credit because he he went out and made, yeah, yeah, he got Scherzer, but Scherzer hasn't really been here. He's been hurt for majority of the year. The the guys that he went out and get the the Martes, the, um, you know, Canna. the Marcanas of the world. Going out and getting out of Vino, I know he gave up a home run on Sunday to, to, to lose the game, but before that, he didn't give up a, a run for 19 straight appearances. So yeah, I don't know how to even even speak to the success that Ottavino has been having. I mean, he's putting together a very solid season for someone who really has been floundering the last few years. But yeah, he's back in New York. He's back in New York. <laughs> it, he, I, I'm almost positive he would like to be a Yankee. But the fact that he didn't have to give up his Brooklyn home, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is why he's so happy. Is because he's actually back home and living at, at his house and not, you know, in a hotel in Boston. But well, you were, you're giving credit to Epler as well. Yeah. No, you, the whole and this is what happens. And I, I think it, it starts with Cohen because Cohen looked at this organization and said, yeah, we might have some pieces. But we're really rough around the edges. We don't have adults in the room. And going out and getting Buck, going out and getting Billy Epler, who, you, you know, say what you want about his tenure in Los Angeles and in, in Anaheim, he he signed Otani. He was the GM that went out and got Otani. He took a lot of big risks that didn't turn out, but mm. he was also the one that signed Trout to that long-term extension. So. Give it, and he was the Yankees' assistant general manager forever. So, mm-hmm. going out and getting guys, and you know he's got the experience of working in the New York market and working with big money. He's back in that pond again, and he's thriving. And Buck, I don't think Buck has been in a situation like this potentially ever in his career because he's usually the guy that has to you know coach up the guys. He's just, you know, I don't want to say the old man in the room, but he's giving guys a different look at things that I already think they they knew or they were aware of. Because I think a lot of the guys on this team had really high baseball IQ, like McNeil or Guillaume or even Alonzo. I think a lot mm-hmm. of them 
had a high IQ. They just didn't know how to use it. And Bucks mm. kind of, you know, turned the key and unlocked that for him. And speaking of Alonzo, I do want to get to him because I think he's having, and it's oddly, it's it's very weird because Judge is having the same sort of year, a little bit better, but same sort of re- renaissance year. Back you had to put that in there. Year. I, I got, he's there. the AL MVP. <laughs> I got to. If if Alonzo was the NL MVP, you know, baseball in New York would be truly king. But mm. this team is what twenty three games over five hundred or something like twenty something. There's twenty something yeah, games over five hundred. Pinch me. I try not to even look at the standings <laughs> because I can't wrap my head around the success. They're all let. I I and this is despite. DeGrom and Scherzer, which we will get to in a minute. But I want to talk about Alonzo because mm-hmm. I think he's the MVP of the team thus far this year. Would you agree with that? Or would you bring up another another guy that I'm overlooking? I mean, there's sort of a lot of little titles you could give. It's hard to, to argue that anyone else would be an MVP on this team because he, you're looking at someone who could very easily at this point be the MVP in the National League. It, he's having that kind of 2019 season again, mm-hmm. where just you everywhere you turn around. And last year was no no joke of a year for him either. But every time you turn around, he's just succeeding in in big moments and big spots. Um, I think there's a bunch of other people who've contributed and should probably get a little recognition. I mean, McNeil is having, I think, at the very least, an All Star season if he could just yes. stay on the field. Guillaume would be like an unsung hero type season because he's filled in not just like a little bit, but he's filled in pretty consistently given how banged up the infield has been and, you know, how people like Escobar could use a day here and there. Um, And is hitting 300, which no one would have ever expected. And I just can't. It's so unfair that this guy's never going to win a gold glove, because if you don't watch this team every single day, you do not appreciate the the uh, illusions that he puts on in, in, in at second base, at third base. He's so versatile. Even, by the way, when, he, when he's at bat, he puts together these at-bats that are like eight, nine pitches on regular and just wears through pitchers and just has, seems like he's always attuned to what's going on in the games on such a high level, which is great. And he's, he's beloved by the fan base. Like, he's the 26th man on this team, or he was for a short period, Luis Guillorme, I'm speaking about. And he's just... He's so competent at what he what his role is. Yet he's he's hitting like I said, three hundred. I think he deserves like little recognition. Mark Hanna, another unsung hero, mm-hmm. putting together really a very a fantastic season for again somebody who's just like a corner outfielder, not some kind of big home run masher, not some kind of huge base stealer, just just very composed. He's a baseball player. He, he's, he's just a, a really solid baseball player. Yeah. Um. You know, and if you could just look further down the line too, Nimmo has been pretty healthy for the most well, part. Well, he's been healthy. He, that And he's right. Has stepped yeah. up his game in center, which was questionable, that decision, because Canada's coming from center. Marte's comes, coming from center. But, okay, so you can take a chance on Nimmo. Seems his defenses, uh, defensive performances have been better. It seems like his, uh, his arm has been slightly better. Seems like his even his offense has ticked up this year. So I'm getting a little nervous because that means at some point he's going to stop arbitrating and go to free agency. <laughs> and that means more money on the payroll and we could potentially lose him. But I know you're not going to lose hey, Robert, Robert, Robert. <laughs> I, th- I, I was waiting for the first moment of your old Met fandom to to, to peak. Its head. <laughs> you're not losing guys anymore. It, that's not happening. There's a Cohen tax now. The, the, your owner has more money than 
I mean, the, the Steinbrenners have the same amount of money. They just don't want to use it. But Cohen's got yeah. money coming out of his ears and doesn't care. He doesn't. He wants a world championship. And he's on a war path that he's not going to stop spending or going to his people and w- until he gets one. And even, even if he gets one, he might not stop at that. So that's, that's not going to happen. You're not going to lose Nimmo. The only way you lose Nimmo is it, but he said, he said, you know, championships are not bought. They're developed, which I guess means you have to sign your, your, your farm grown players. But yes. So Nimmo homegrown guy, unless Nimmo is like, I utterly hate New York. I don't want to play here anymore. That's the only way you're going to lose a guy is if he doesn't Mm -hmm. like New York. The, the well, money will be Conforto. there. Not that, not that we weren't able to fill a spot like that. And he was hurt. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on with him. But what do you, what do you um, attribute that to? Him getting Tommy John and the Mets not wanting to pay for a year for his recovery. And that I was also the think repair he needed. He needed, was he needed an operation on his arm? Yep. He needed Tommy John. Oh, so man, I, I don't think they wanted to log jam the DH position and just give him you know, have a full-time DH. That doesn't seem like Buck's forte. Also, Mm -hmm. I just, I don't think, I think he was just, I mean, he, yeah, he had a great 2020, but he had a terrible contract year. And Mm -hmm. that's also telling. But I also, you're right. It's a really weird situation with him. Uh, I don't know if he didn't tell the Mets that he was going to get Tommy John or, that is what the severity of his elbow injury actually was. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that whole situation is weird because when no one put a bid on him, he opted out of the season to just right. concentrate on recovery, which is actually really an interesting move. I, honestly, he's the kind of guy I could see coming back to the Mets, but now that they've filled a lot of those, you know, those, they filled all the starter roles mm-hmm. in the outfield. He's not somebody you want on the bench, you know, and you're not going to even bench Marte or Kana at this point. They've been great. No, but I think that's his role. Wherever he goes next is he's going to have to prove it again. He's going to have mm-hmm. to prove that he's healthy and be a bench guy for a year I'm or not, half a season. I don't know how bad the recovery is for, for outfielders who, who get Tommy John. I, I mean, I'm taking your word at that because I, I never heard anyone officially put a title to it. Um, it's not like it's, it's, it's not as bad as it is to be a pitcher because you don't have to be able to throw 100 or whatever, right. you know, 100 times in a game. But uh, I know it's still no joke to get that, you know, like Darno had that injury. I think he was out for about a year and he was able to return to, to backstop. It's just that this team is actually, and again, I will pinch you because again, you're 20 games over 500. It's actually reality. You're, you're in first place. It's almost July and you're still in first place. Now, I don't want, you know, Mets fans will say, well, it's not September yet. And I will agree with that. It is not September (laughs) and anything can happen. But I don't remember the last time a team 20 games over 500 missed the playoffs. So at least you're going to the playoffs. If any team were to do that, though, it would be the Mets. I'm just Yeah, of course. Last year they were, they were, what was that whole stat they had midway through the year? They were like on pace for a hundred win season and they finished with like below 80 wins or some crazy, crazy collapse. They were the only team that didn't make the playoffs with various uh, parameters accomplished in the first half of the year. But all right, I'll try to leave my my sorrowful, sorrowful Mets talk <laughs> for another well, another time. Well, I'm just saying, like, and the other thing is, too, you know what you have this year that you don't have 
that you didn't have last year is you have reinforcements coming and two ginormous reinforcements. And even if they are mm. 60% of themselves, that's good enough to win baseball games. And that's Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom. Now, deGrom, I would be... Uh, Maybe the innings limits for a lot of pitchers are out the window, but I would put an innings limit on him. I'd be very, very careful with how De, how mm-hmm. DeGrom is used throughout the rest of the season if he comes back at all. And I, I hope he does because, you know, watching him pitch, it's it's like Yorma, it, it's like watching Yorma play the field times 100 because he's just mm-hmm. – it's ludicrous what that guy does. But Scherzer – I mean, when Scherzer comes back – I think you're fully going to realize how much of a warrior God that dude is. And he doesn't care if his right arm falls off. He's going to go out and pitch and that you don't, you didn't have that last year. And he's, he's got a special personality that, that Scherzer. I mean, he's just, he's a lunatic when he, when he's on the field, the best way possible. But I think that this Mets team is actually legit and, a playoff team for sure. The division, the Braves are still hot. And that's going to be a very interesting race down the stretch. And I believe you, ha- I don't think the Mets have played that many games against Atlanta. Um, yeah, I think maybe one or two series. It's not like the case with Philadelphia where they've emptied their schedule out by the end of May, basically. Right. Um, I think they have a bunch more series against the Braves. And, and I agree with you. Everyone always writes off the Braves. Oh, they didn't sign Freeman. Oh, Soroka's hurt another season. Oh, the oh uh, Albies is out for whatever. It's like Braves always succeed. The Braves right. always compete. I don't ever want to write them out, write them off. Um, it's like there's value in winning the division. I know there's seven teams that make the playoffs this year. I'd rather not be a team that has any chance of losing in one game. So I would like to see this team continue to win the kind of <laughs> win at the kind of rate that they have been. I always think the Braves are a threat. I don't view any of the other teams as a, as a huge threat. At least I don't not either. You could potentially run into some issues down the line. We always say this. The Marlins are always two years away, three years away, if they could just get some hitting, whatever it is. If they'd stop making so many boneheaded fielding moves, then they play the Mets and they're like the, the 03 New York Yankees. You know, <laughs> it's like, I'll just, whatever. The Marlins are a few years away. Philadelphia... I just the defense is so bad. They're the joke. relief is still not great. You know they they have. Um, I don't I don't view them as a real real threat. Even Harper can't play the field, which handcuffs right. them defensively. Um, you know it's just that's where I kind of view view the division at this point. So I think the Mets are slated to 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 have a run here. But to the point about Degrom, you know. My pessimism is going to come out. I was at a game last year where San Diego was in town, and he pitched six innings, and I think he allowed uh, no runs, of course, and he left the game. I didn't even realize because there was no announcement or anything when I was at the game. It was like the right. first game that he left of three consecutive pitch uh, starts where he was like hurt or concerned for injury. And I just, after the third time that happened, and after his second half was completely without a start, I just started really to to say, you know, I appreciated the way he pitched so much. And I'm grateful to myself that I appreciated the way he was pitching so much because the future of his career is so up in the air. At this point, you're looking really at a full year without him making a start in the major leagues during regulation of the season. It's like 
man, we really were lucky. We've been really lucky for like eight or eight or nine years of his career. And I just hope he gets another chance to resume what he's capable of doing, continue to put together a Hall of Fame type resume, even if it's in such a short window. But he's such an otherworldly talent. And the game is so much better, not just from the perspective of a Mets fan, but just from the perspective of every fan of baseball mm-hmm. when he's able to pitch. Yeah, even if you're, you know, the opposing team, going up against DeGrom, it, it, it's an honor. And the way that you're talking about DeGrom is a lot like the way national fans talk about Strasburg, where they saw the glimpse. They know what he is. They know how great he can be. They just want him to be that for a long time, for a, for a season, for two seasons in a row. And that's the one thing DeGrom, I think, I thought, and I te- I remember texting you this when the Scherzer news went final over the over the winter. I thought that Scherzer was really going to get into Grom's ear and say, "This is how you pitch. Sit down with me, watch my bullpens. This is how you pitch. You have otherworldly stuff. Degrom has stuff Scherzer doesn't have anymore, and you know some pitches that he didn't have. Period. Scherzer never sat a hundred. So right. Um, Scherzer doesn't throw the kind of changeup that Degrom has either. Right. Right. So the the stuff is off the charts. It's just I thought DeGrom, I thought DeGrom was going to be sat down by Scherzer, the grown man in the room, and said, this is how you pitch. Watch me pitch and learn. Take some stuff from me and better your career. Because I think that's what Scherzer did with Verlander and all those guys on that staff. That that like 2012 Detroit Tigers staff was insane. There's like David Price. Was like, There's five Cy Young Award winners in the staff. The yeah. fifth starter has a Cy Young Award. So that that's what I think DeGrom needs. I, I, he needs to learn how to pitch. He's a great thrower. He has incredible stuff, stuff that it's video game-esque. But he needs to learn how to pitch. And that's, I think, his next step. And that's what I would – I hope in his development this year, that's what I would – look for him. I wouldn't look this. I'm not looking at the radar gun every pitch to see, Oh, did he throw 112? I'm looking to see, did he go seven? Did he dominate the game in more ways than just throwing a hundred every single pitch? And that's what I I want to see as a baseball fan from him. I think his pitching acumen is, is virtually unmatched to me. I think it's more of a question of the health. You know, I think you brought this point up. That's where I thought you were headed with this, that, his health is the biggest thing that's in question. And if anyone's put together a spectacular career of, you know, 12, 15 years of remaining pretty healthy by and large, it's, of course, until he came to the Mets, it's Max Scherzer. <laughs> so I thought you were saying that Scherzer presents a kind that's of a wealth point. of knowledge in how to treat your body. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe DeGrom still has more to learn from the viewpoint of pitching, but I think his execution and his awareness of how to get batters out, not just throw 100, I think that's that's you know unmatched virtually so it's an interesting position you take uh, i think but i think we're both correct in, in in certain aspects but uh one thing i do want to get to before we end is i want to get to the deadline because it is we're coming up on july and the, the deadline's a little weird this year it's august 1st instead of july 31st but looking at this mets team and it's going to be a two-team race we we we, we just went over that with atlanta and the Mets, what do you think position-wise the need that puts you over the hump and 
you know, late August, you look at the division and you go, this is definitely ours. Yeah. Um, we were just mentioning starting pitching depth. You know, this team presented a lot of depth. It's just a lot of the depth has been depleted by injury. You have McGill, who's out. Mm-hmm. I think my answer to this is going to deeply depend on where pitchers are at, as you say, come like mid-July. You know, with an August 1st deadline, if Tyler McGill looks healthy, that's great. That's one more arm that you could count on. Uh, Walker's been decent. You know, you've gotten what you want in pass pretty much. Um, Carrasco hasn't been a disaster. You do have a Peterson in case you need him. It's going to also come down to whether you've got DeGrom. You said they might limit his innings. I want to see that if they limit his innings, they let him pitch in in September if the team – sorry, they let him pitch in in October if the team makes it that far. So it's going to come how they budget their available resources. Listen, if they're 20 games up and it's August 1st, you don't need to freak out. You know, you don't need to freak out that you've got to get DeGrom in every single fifth day. So you could get creative with the way you mitigate their innings. So that's going to determine, I think, strategy at the deadline. If they're in a good position – uh, in terms of their winning, you know, the win-loss record, then you have a little bit more freedom with what you do with the starters. You don't necessarily need to be as aggressive with starters, which are probably going to still be costly at the deadline. Um, that said, I, we were chatting about this a little bit before uh, we started the podcast. I think the next biggest vulnerability could potentially be like a backup outfielder, which is pretty good if you're really like, dang, we really need a backup outfielder. <laughs> All right, that's not too bad. Again, comes down to whether Travis Jankowski's healthy because he's put together he put together a pretty good first like month and change of the season and was kind of dynamic on the bases. He's mm-hmm. dependable in the outfield. Um, he's never been the kind of talent people thought he was going to be, but I guess that we would reserve the right for him to have a kind of a breakout season. I guess, and you could always just fortify the bullpen because every team needs bullpen arms. Pitchers get worn through by the end of the season. You know, you've gotten more than you could have asked for out of Alavino gotten more than you could have asked for out of uh, drew smith it's you know they've been fortunate but you've still got like chasen shreve as your lefty specialist so nothing against him i think he's been solid for what they've needed him for but i think they might be able to improve a little bit of the bullpen other than that i don't got much else i totally forgot that shreve i hated shreve when he was on the yankees he was he he just (laughs) every single time he came in it was oh he's given up three runs we're we were up by two now we're down one great thanks chasen i was so happy that he he was off the team i can't believe he's back in new york that i i i forget he's still playing baseball so yeah i would say if you need anything upgrade your uh, upgrade the lefty specialist out of the bullpen Mm-hmm. I'm not relying on Chase and Shreve when it counts in October. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> how's uh how's Miguel? What's his last name? Miguel, Miguel Castro. Because Joely Rodriguez has been all right. He didn't start the season great, but he basically figured it out. Miguel Castro is what uh he does something that my grandmother and I like to call the David Robertson special, where he doesn't like bases empty. He loves them loaded, and when he gets them loaded. He loves to work and tiptoe his way out of it, but that's nice. that's been his mo. That's been his mo. He's either given up a couple of runs and had a, clunk, a clunker of a uh, an outing, or he's just given Yankees Yankee fans heart attacks every single time he he every time he goes into or that the the camera pans from regular action to the bullpen and hit, and he, he's getting loose. I have to pop a, a Tums because I'm I'm getting into Jensen because he's just, it's that, <laughs> it's that type of he's that type of pitcher. He's he, a flamethrower though, I'll tell you that. Yeah, he is. 
but he just can't control it. He he's he's wild, but mm-hmm. hopefully in a good way. Hopefully he he's been all over the place. Hopefully he reigns it in. Mm-hmm. He's a good he's he's the weakest link of the bullpen, and it's the good. I thought it was Marinaccio, but he's been all right. Yeah, Castro's the weakest link in the bullpen, and I'm I'm very happy if if that's the case. Yeah, I'm surprised about that. Well, the bullpen for the Yankees is always a strong suit, or has been for the last several years. But he was very solid last year, to the point where I was definitely questioning that trade decision. Yeah, I didn't know either, because Joely Rodriguez was kind of eh, and I was like, ah, whatever. Hopefully, yeah. We get- well, Rodriguez pitches from the other side, right? So yes, I was like, but his numbers weren't so good against lefties that I thought it was necessary to make that swap because. Miguel Castro was getting righties and lefties out last year, so it just yeah. seemed like a usual trade. Might turn out to be a trade that benefits both teams. I guess the, the jury's still out on that. Or neither. <laughs> like, both teams could lose. It, we, they talk about who won the trade. Well, both teams could lose the trade. Yeah, it it well, could be a lose-lose. End of the year, right? Yeah, swap them back after the year. If, 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 they don't, if it doesn't <laughs> turn out great, you know, swap them back. Forget 2022 ever happened for both of them and, you know, go on. I like that. I like that sound. We'll, we'll see what happens there. Robert, best of luck to your Mets. Uh, we will definitely talk before the end of the year. Um, we definitely need to go to a game before the end of the year. And uh, now I think sure. that's a good place to end. Tell the people what you got going on, where they can find you, all that good stuff. All right, everyone. Happy uh, happy summer. Hope everyone had a good uh, school year. Your boys on LinkedIn. Definitely make sure to check them out. Robert Presser would not be a grind hours podcast. If I didn't plug my LinkedIn, just big time shout out to Joe, man. Thanks so much for having me back on. It's always good to chat a little Metsies, chat a little MLB, hear what's going on in Yankee world. Which, like, <laughs> Thanks for not rubbing it in too much. Cause this team might literally set the record for most wins in a season. So just incredible. Whenever New York baseball is succeeding like that, we'll take it. Yeah. And if we, if we get to a, a subway series, world series way down the line, because we haven't even gotten to the, the subway series yet. That's, that's still happening at the end of July. So there's going to be some ho- energy behind that for sure. Hopefully the Mets and the Yankees are still in first place. They're still both 20 games over 500. The Queens and the Bronx are going to be set on fire if that happens. And yeah, you know, just cause it's going to be great. I, I I'm, I'm hoping for it. And you're right. When baseball is good in New York, there's there's truly nothing else like it. So, again, ho- hopefully it's a, a good rest of the summer for the Mets. We will definitely uh, talk soon and, and be good, all right? For sure. Be well, man. On this side of the coin, not the fake Jay Leo on Twitter, jdatasports.blogspot.com, and, of course, this podcast. If you've reached this point, please subscribe, like, or share with anyone you seem fit. Download the show. It means more to the show than you think you know. If you have Apple Podcasts, please give us a review. This show is sponsored by SeatGeek. And in case anyone was wondering what different voice this is, hi, my name's Morgan. I am Joe's girlfriend of three and a half years. Um, You've probably heard of me before. But uh, yeah, just wanted to come on and say hi. We have been talking about possibly having me on here. And this is the first time I'm crashing his podcast on his computer. So thanks everyone for listening.